Welcome to Ingenious, a podcast brought to you by Engineers Without Borders at the University of Bristol. At Ingenious, we explore the future by talking with the pioneering engineers of today. In this episode, we're sharing a recording from the Engineers Without Borders Inspiring Women in Industry talk series. This features an incredible panel of guest speakers, Amanda Heslop, Chief Design Engineer at Rolls-Royce, Deborah Greaves, a Royal Academy of Engineering Fellow and World Authority in Renewable Energy, and Junshi Wace, a graduate engineer at global consultancy Mott MacDonald. The event was hosted by Jade Lowe from the EWB Committee. Hi everyone, thank you for coming. Welcome to the third instalment of the Inspiring Women in Industry talk series. Today we've got Professor Deborah Graves of Plymouth University, Amanda Hanslop of Rolls-Royce and Junshi Wace of Mott MacDonald to speak to you. I'm just going to start off with a few introductory questions and then open it up to the guests. So if you could just all tell me a bit about yourselves, what does your current role entail and how did you get into engineering? Should we start with Professor Graves? Okay, that's fine. Thanks, Jade. So thank you very much for inviting me today. Uh, it's really nice to be part of this. Um, so I'm Deborah Greaves. I'm a professor of ocean engineering at the University of Plymouth. And my role at the moment is that I'm the head of school of a large school of engineering, computing and mathematics. And I'm also the, the director of the Coast Laboratory, which is a hydrodynamics facility for testing um, different uh, devices in, in the sea. Uh, so we do a lot of work with offshore renewable energy devices. And I'm also director of something called the Supergen ORE Hub, which is a, a large research program in offshore renewable energy, connecting together research with industry and policy. Um, how did I get into engineering? Um, well, I, uh, I started off as a civil engineer, so I did my first degree at Bristol, in fact. Um, and I did civil engineering there uh, because I was just interested in um, science and maths and I really liked the idea of working outside actually so I liked working on site and um, the idea of, of building things that would last for a long time and have an impact on people's lives um, but I've, I've, I'm from uh, Plymouth so I was brought up by the sea and I've always always been very interested in waves and wave structure interactions so um, when I had the opportunity, I uh, moved back into that area. Started in civil engineering, worked in London designing underground tunnels, oh and um, then worked on site for a while, building bridges and things, and then um, went back and studied for a PhD in computational fluid dynamics at Oxford. That got me back into waves and wave structure interaction. Um, and then I went to UCL with my first lecturing job actually in mechanical engineering and naval architecture for um, about eight years. And then I went to Bath uh, and joined, went back into civil engineering then in the Department of Architecture and Civil Engineering. And then I came to Plymouth um, about 11 years ago now. And that was the opportunity to really get more involved in uh, offshore and marine renewable energy. Thank you. That's really interesting. And it's really nice to hear how your own interests have sort of led you to the career that you've got today. If you don't mind, Genshi, do you mind going next? Um, so I work for Mont McDonald, which is a global civil engineering consultancy. Um, we do all sorts of stuff, but I'm primarily um, I'm based in the bridges division. So I work a lot on um, 
structures. I've spent the last three years, which is where, when I joined the company, uh, working on HS2. So we've been designing um, a lot of the bridges that are going over the railway, that are carrying the new railway. Um, and I've also been quite involved with sort of parametric design, which is where we take all the components, in this case, of the bridges, and we kind of we can standardise them and we can generate, hopefully, multiple different models that are very similar. Um, and I, I really, I'm really interested in in that side of engineering as well as the the structural side as well. Um, how did I get into, into engineering? I actually went to Bath University, so I know that's a little contentious, but um, yeah, similar to, to Deborah, I've always liked solving problems. I've always enjoyed the science and math sides of things, and I always knew that I had this interest in bridges, and I was always really keen to to be involved in it in a global um, in global in, in big projects and, and in um, places where I knew that I could make a difference. So yeah, that was my story. Thank you. That's that's really great. That's really interesting. And last but not least, Amanda. So my name's Amanda Haslop and I work for Rolls-Royce based in Filton in Bristol. Uh, So my role, I am the chief design engineer for a number of engines um, uh, located in Bristol. So in Bristol, the Rolls-Royce site is defence focused. So we support militaries all around the world. And the engines that I am the currently design responsible for are the TP400, which go on the A400M uh, transport uh, aircraft uh, flown by the likes of the RAF. Uh, And also for a a portfolio of some of our legacy engines, our older engines, including um, the Pegasus, which goes on the Harrier jump jet, um, the uh, Viper engine, which goes on an MB339, which is part of the Italian and UAE uh, display aircraft. And uh, and my uh, portfolio extends, but also to engines as old as the Merlin and the Griffin, which is in the Lancaster bomber and the Spitfire. So uh, in total, I'm design responsible for about nine engines in my portfolio. Uh, And I've been doing that role, new to the role this year. Um, uh, And um, the uh, work that I do, the, the nature of my role is that I'm design responsible. So you probably think, well, these engines sound like they're already designed, um, but actually we can have um, safety issues or we can have um, reliability issues that we'd like to or reliability that we would like to improve. So we would do modifications to the engines. And obviously that is very focused on design and design principles. And as well as modifications to the engines, uh, we have a lot of uh, we have a huge supply chain and I work very closely with manufacturing groups uh, to improve how we manufacture parts. Uh, and that's very um, takes a very core focus on on design as well. Uh, but underlying my role is uh, design for safety. Um, we're making sure that our products are safe to flying, safe to continue flying. So that's my role today. And how did I get into engineering? So going right back, uh, I come from a family of engineers um, in Liverpool, and uh, that uh, marine engineers actually. Um, but I was really taken by aircraft uh, flight principles of flight I found it fascinating even today so I went on to Loughborough University which I think is contentious with Bath um, but uh, yeah on to Loughborough University and I did aeronautical engineering there uh, and I graduated in 2009 while I was at university I did some internships with Rolls-Royce over a summer and also a 12-month internship with Rolls-Royce so that was my first foot in the door in the company 
and uh, that built the portfolio and uh, my knowledge and my uh, passion actually for, for aircraft and, and wanting to work in roles uh, longer term. That's incredible and such a huge range of engines as well and I think what's sort of common to all of these very different areas that everyone's really passionate about what they're doing and I think that's really important. So if you don't mind me asking, as clearly there isn't a lot of flying going on at the moment, Amanda, how has Rolls-Royce and how have all of your individual industries coped to the current situation with the current situation? Yeah, that's right. It's um it's quite tricky. So Rolls-Royce is made up of many different businesses and um, one business is power systems, so trains um, and power generation. Uh, another is nuclear, so that's sort of not on the table right now as being affected because it's more about the nuclear submarines, uh, but the, the UK supporting the UK MOD. Um, and then there's defence and then there's civil. So the two industries that I know uh, the most about is more civil and defence because I've worked on uh, in engine, portfolio, um, engine products in those two portfolios. Civil, very much um, affected by this, uh, by the pandemic. Um, we've unfortunately, uh, the civil business is based predominantly in Derby and we've had to make nearly 4,000 uh, cuts to the business because Rolls-Royce do a power by the hour contract. So we get paid for every hour that an engine is operating for. So obviously uh, fewer aircraft or fewer passengers, fewer aircraft, fewer engine flying hours. Therefore, our, our revenues is re- uh, reduces quite considerably. On top of that, we actually, um, to the cost to make an engine and, and design, well, to build and to then sell an engine, we actually sell it at a loss uh, with a very heavy focus on service, on the hours that these aircraft uh, should be flying. So um, we're very much dependent on the industry getting back on its feet for the civil business to to be um, uh, to be uh, strong again. And they're looking maybe sort of two years turnaround for that to be get back to pre-COVID flying rates. Defence, slightly different, actually. Um, One of our customers um, has defence. We've been strong, really strong um, because in defence militaries all around the world need to continue flying there are issues um, around the world there are training programs around the world for different militaries and they need to continue flying so therefore defense needs to continue supporting and we have done stronger than ever uh, to really help the wider Rolls-Royce business and one of our customers um, commented I can't name which customer it was but we need to be strong as ever in defense because we can't let the enemy let's just call it that broad brush um, see us at a moment of weakness. They can't see our defence, um, our defence uh, defences weakened by the the, the pandemic. So um, very different uh, within Rolls Royce. Uh, two different areas of the business affected in two very different ways. Thank you. Yeah, that's great, um, Professor Greaves. I mean, obviously, in the university setting, then the the COVID. Um, situation has meant that we've gone online as I'm sure you're all experiencing um, and we've had to do a lot of work to um, to redesign the teaching so it can be delivered online and there are a lot of challenges around that um, and I'm sure you're um, you're well used to, to how that's all working uh, at Bristol as well um, I think just just talking about the sort of academic side of things then the teaching is is the is the very big one, but we've done what we can in in continuing with that and trying to do it as as well as possible, um, with a sort of uh, 
um, a hybrid of face-to-face -face and online, a sort of blended learning. Um, then if we think about the, the other sort of area, research, um, and how that's been affected by COVID, then that's uh, had an enormous effect, of course, because we normally spend a lot of our um, a lot of our time, well, all throughout the year, but particularly in the summer, going to conferences and uh, meeting um, with international groups and, and discussing research and, and networking and, and so on. Um, so all of that has come to, well, it's not come to a standstill, it's, it's, it's pivoted itself um, to online. So we've been doing a lot of this, a lot of um, Zoom and other types of uh, online conferences and so on, and online events. I think as far as the, um, the area of offshore renewable energy goes, then um, it's probably seen as one of those areas that can help or can maybe be part of the post-COVID recovery and can provide some uh, economic benefit for the UK. Um, so you've prob you know, probably heard some of the, the ambition around um, offshore wind and how offshore wind can um, contribute to our, you know, our, our, our need for uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and, and the transition away from fossil fuels. Um, so it, and there are big ambitions for uh, 40 gigawatts by 2030 now is the latest figures that, uh, that Boris has talked about. Although there are some models that, that you know, we need even more. Um, so yes, potentially uh, it will be a, a growing area as, as we recover. Thank you. Yeah, it's really undoubtable that offshore wind is going to be a huge area for green recovery, especially as the Prime Minister has laid out. And Jinchi, would you like to add anything? How has Martin McDonald been responding to the pandemic? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, before I forget, I'm going to follow on from, from Deborah's point about um, offshore wind. And so from the perspective of where I'm at in the construction industry, I mean, I've heard from several people that you know, traditionally, the construction industry always always helps to get a country out of a recession. Um, and at McDonald's, so obviously, so our aviation sectors, and there have been some other sectors that have been hit pretty hard. But from a um, a hard civils and and a transport perspective, we've you know HS2 has been ploughing ahead just as if we were. We've actually almost been more busy with HS2 than we were originally. Um, perhaps to do with the remote working and everyone feeling like they perhaps need to work a bit harder because, you know, they're not being seen by their managers, which is a separate issue. Um, but we, yeah, we've been, we've still been winning the work for HS2 and we've still been powering ahead with that. And I think it's really important to note that just how important it is that we can all carry on doing what we're doing. I think it's really exciting that we're all able to just carry on doing that and it's it's such a shame to see other industries and, and other parts of the engineering sector um like you were saying amanda that that for whatever reason can't continue with what they're doing because it's just such an important part of um of our economy i think Mont, yeah mcdonald themselves have done we're doing okay out of it but we're we've all obviously had to adapt to working from home um, and and doing everything virtually like like you guys were saying as well but i think also with that comes opportunities as well so I got to go to a conference um, a couple of months ago um, that was based in the states which is something that I would never have had the opportunity to go to before um, because no one would ever have funded me going out to I don't know Vegas and spending three days there but because it was now all moved online I you know I was able to experience that with, with women all over the world and actually I think 
there are definite positive, I'm not going to say that this whole situation was a positive, but there, <laughs> there have been positives that have come out of it. Um, and I think as an industry, the construction industry has definitely found ways that to use that to our advantage and, and really sort of bolster ourselves as a really core industry to helping get like the economy going again. So, Thank you. Yeah, that's really great to hear. That has been an overall positive experience for you. Um, so, Jinchi, you mentioned attending a conference and meeting other women there, which sort of brings us on very nicely to the next um, topic that I'd like to ask about. What do you? Th- what has your experience as a woman in en- engineering or industry been? And why? Why do you think it's important to have more representation in the industry? It's all about diversity, isn't it? So, I was actually talking to one of the more senior members of our company who was who was male. And he was saying, um, he was like, look, we have five board members. And this was a couple of years ago. And he was like, none of those board members were were female. And he was like, I'm looking at the demographic of the whole company. Um, and I'm like, does that represent the whole company? And he was like, no. He was like, you know, maybe 40% of people, 30% perhaps were, were women. And he was like, well, until my board essentially represents represents the company from even like, that one diversity perspective then and how can we possibly expect the board to be able to make the decisions that they need to um or with the right sort of the right sort of view um, and so I think it's really important that to not emphasize sort of positive discrimination but to encourage right from the bottom so I do a lot of work in STEM and I'm sure um everyone else on the call obviously does a lot with with STEM as well and, and, and encouraging girls from actually a young age to be interested in engineering because I feel like a lot of the barriers are to do with just not being aware that these opportunities are available to, to girls everywhere and it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy you know you, you're still just as good as, as anyone in this industry and I, I think a lot of girls don't get the opportunity to learn that at an age where they are choosing their GCSEs or choosing their A-levels and I think that's yeah, that's where my focus will be going forward. Thank you. I think that's really relatable. Um, Amanda, have you got anything to add? Well, first of all, my experience is there are not many women in engineering in Rolls-Royce um, and actually in, in other industries as well. So that's disappointing. Um, but as Junchi says, uh, similar, you know, I have a real passion to get more uh, women into engineering and you've got to start at sometimes primary school level but certainly the lower years in um, in secondary school. So um, on the point of diversity, diversity is not just my opinion. It's not just about gender, but it's also about your background. My background, um, whether it's from a geographical background, an educational background, how I was brought up, my morals, um, ha- having different backgrounds is um, very important. So that brings diversity. Uh, then you've got uh, sexuality or you've got your ethnic background or you've got your gender. There's there's so many different categories that could be um, that could be covered by diversity. But what's the most important for me, irrespective of gender or, or whatever, is diversity of thought. And that is the most important when it comes to and then from a design point of view, when it comes to engineering. And why is diversity of thought important? Because you want to avoid groupthink. When you have groupthink, one person comes up with an idea and everybody else is nodding around the table. Uh, that doesn't 
uh, that doesn't bring innovation that doesn't bring interesting make projects that really excel go quicker or um be the best project that it can be but if with diversity of thoughts you've got to have diversity in individuals and, and as i say there's different types of diversity whether it's gender or ethnicity etc um but once you've got those people that think differently around the table that's where innovation can really um excel and engineering can be seen at its best and then my other experience with uh, with engineering and females in engineering what what uh, women i do work with is i do think that sometimes uh uh, women around the table uh, don't have the confidence sometimes to speak up and that's something again that I mentor uh, um, my fellow female colleagues to try and support um, them in speaking up and voicing their opinion um, because linked back to my first point diversity of thought it's so important that everybody feels like they've got a voice uh, and they can speak up and share their ideas without fear of criticism because maybe they're female uh, and I think that's ultimately what it comes with um, and uh, so that's some that's another experience so something to reflect on. Thank you yeah that's really insightful. Um, Deborah how has sort of being a woman in research been for you and why is it important to get more women into the field? Well I think that the points that uh, Amanda and Shinshi have just made about the importance of diversity in decision making is, is absolutely right. I think also when we think about the careers in engineering it's really about I think it's about um, creating um, finding those solutions um, to make people's lives better it's about improving the motivation is about improving people's lives really it's a societal thing and those solutions we need uh, need to be relevant to everybody because they they're no good any technological solution is no good unless people can actually use it um, so that's another reason I think why, why it's really important to have um, diverse vo voices in the design of the solution so that they are appropriate for everybody to use um, for all sections of, of um, society. So, yeah, I, I strongly uh, also want to in increase diversity. And I think in our areas, then we have a particular lack of uh, females who take up engineering careers and um, dwindling lack, lack of females that sort of progress in their engineering careers sometimes. So I think it's really important for us to support that. But I think it's supporting um, the uh, right from a very early age um, and also supporting people in their careers. So when I did um, my undergraduate degree in engineering, which was quite some years ago now, um, the proportion of girls, females on the course was low and it really hasn't changed much over all that time which I think is quite shocking because we always used to think, well, you know, it was sort of common thought that if you have a few role models, the more women you have in roles, um, then uh, you, you will encourage more to take on engineering. But I, I think you know, the, one of the big problems is fundamentally that we still don't have girls choosing to do STEM subjects and choosing to do engineering. And I think one big reason for that is that we just, there's not a very good understanding of what engineering is in society it's not very well communicated um, and the you know the range of careers and the exciting careers you can have and the creativity in engineering is just not really culturally un well understood in this country which is such a shame yeah and Deborah I completely agree with you on that one um, I think the media has a lot to say for itself um, even the way in which BBC News reports 
the latest, uh, you know, finding, whether it's COVID related or whether it's, uh, I don't know, the latest HS2 uh, project, you know, they don't talk about engineers. Sometimes they talk about scientists um, and the terminology, I think, is so important. And I think in a lot of cases, certainly from talking to different people, when you say engineering, you think spanners and oil and grease and or you know getting your hands dirty, <laughs> not with these nails, um, and uh, and I just and that's wrong. I don't think Coronation Street uh, has an engineer uh, that worked well, certainly back in the day. They did. I don't read it. I don't watch it at the moment. But um, they weren't an engineer. They were a technician. And you take my point. I, I think the media has uh, a lot to say for itself in, in getting portraying what engineering actually is in, a, in the true sense of, of the term. Thank you. Really insightful points from everyone. And I completely agree about the lack of representation, even at uni. I think in my course, mechanical engineering, it's about 20% women and 80% men as of today. So not that much has changed, I think. Um, I, don't, I did also want to bring up sort of careers in engineering. So if you don't mind me asking, how did you guys get to where you are today? And what sort of advice would you give to sort of students who are just looking to start out their careers in engineering? Deborah, how do you go and become a fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering? <laughs> how does that happen? Uh, well, it takes a while, doesn't it? But I suppose um, you should go for things, go for what you want to do, be confident and speak out. Never feel that you can't do something <laughs> um, or that something is, you know, if, if you really want to do something, then um, you should you should go for it. You know, take advice, but you don't need to follow everything that everyone tells you. Make your own mind up. Advice is just advice. You don't need to take it. It's useful to have it, but you don't need to take it. Um, and I think, yeah, believe in what you want to do. I mean, I, you know, I've been quite lucky to um, to work with some really good people. You know, in research, you tend to collaborate with people. So I've collaborated with some good people. And then I've got to a position where people want to collaborate with me, which is very nice. But one thing I always used to say when I was sort of developing my um, my research was my research collaborations was that, you know, sometimes you, you can um, you can work with someone that you and this probably goes into other areas as well, work with someone that you really look up to and you don't think would want to work with you. But if you're prepared to sort of put in the, the hard work and, uh, and, and work with them, then you know, quite often you can, you can do that. You can go for it. Yeah, don't be shy about taking a, a sort of leading role in something. Really valuable advice there. Um, anyone else, anything else to add? I think, yeah, alongside everything that, that Deborah said, it's about taking charge of your own, your own I'm going to say destiny. But um, in reality, you know, everyone's out there looking out for themselves. Um, and there, there will be people that do want to help you. And there will be people that if you ask them for help, will give you that help. But it, I think it's about finding out for yourself what you want to do and then just going ahead and doing it. Um, and I think the biggest barrier there is actually, especially with engineering, is actually understanding what engineering is. And maybe that's something that we can open out to you know, the rest of the industry is, are we doing enough to let everyone else know what we're actually up to because I think this goes back to one of our previous points is that you know girls aren't coming into engineering because they perhaps don't know what we're up to um, and maybe they feel that engineering isn't for them because they don't know what it is um, but I've definitely done kind of maybe like a couple of presentations in schools where you stand there and you explain to them that engineering isn't just 
some guy with a hard hat, you know, with a jackhammer on site. It's it's about so much more than that. And as soon as you kind of you enlighten all these kind of young kids about what engineering actually actually is, um, and then you ask them at the end, you know, who who's considering a career in engineering now? Like half of them are like, yeah, hey, you know. And it's just about that knowledge thing, isn't it? Um, but about sort of my recommendation to anyone that was looking to sort of get into engineering but wasn't really sure what to do is, is to take internships. You know, I wouldn't obviously recommend an unpaid internship because there's so many paid internships out there. But I was very lucky in that I knew I knew the field that I wanted to go into. And I kind of I was given the opportunities at school to sort of learn more about that, whereas a lot of kids aren't. But having the confidence to just be like, right, I'm going to send out an application to a whole bunch of places and, and see where it takes me, I think was that would be my advice was just to take control and see where you can go with it, really. Just to build on what Junchi was saying, really, really great points. It's not just about finding out what you do like. It's finding out what you don't like. Uh, so whether it's I like working in an office and I definitely don't like working in operations or on the line or anything more hands-on and, and um, or in development, for example, or, or the opposite. I can't stand working in an office uh, and you want to do the more practical side of engineering and work experience just gives you that perspective. And it's only when you actually go and physically do it, whether it's for a week, whether it's for a summer, whatever, it, you'll only know once you've actually tried it. And that's something that I've said to um, kids in secondary schools uh, and young adults um, in university as well. And I think following on those points, yeah, getting getting some work experience, but also I think um, I think it's probably fair to say that you do learn quite a lot of your engineering on the job as well. I mean, you have your background in engineering as a de- as your degree. You learn the, the basics and hopefully quite a broad range. But uh, but a lot of what you do in practice, you learn on on the job. I think. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about if you want to change between different types of engineering. I mean, I talked about how I started as civil engineering. I'm now in offshore renewable energy engineering, but I've on the way gone into teaching mechanical engineering and naval architecture. Um, so I think there are you know, definitely common themes with each of them. And, and engineering is partly a way of thinking and a way of approaching um, problem solving. Yeah, I do um, recruitment for Rolls-Royce and um, we don't expect you to know the ins and outs of a gas turbine engine and to be an absolute professional 100% thermodynamics uh, or CFD or whatever it, whatever that, whatever the uh, area that you're interested in. Um, we are interested in how you think, um, how, how you engineering is problem solving. So how do you think, how do you work out, if you don't know the answer, how do you go and get that answer? And also what's also important is the interpersonal skills. Someone said it before. It's not about um, you can't solve a project by yourself. Um, so if you are able to demonstrate really uh, keen teamwork and yet you're a really clear and logical thinker or creative thinker uh, that can uh, help resolve some of these projects um, and in and engineering issues, then uh, that's perfect. I could just add one more thing to that as well. From my perspective, so I did a... I did a civil engineering degree and I'm now in the civil engineering industry. But if I can be completely honest, I probably use about 5% of the technical things that I did in my degree in my day job, even though you'd think that they were very sort of closely aligned. Um, and it's, it's yeah, like, like the others were saying, it's about those interpersonal skills. It's about 
all the other skills that you've learned, like writing reports and and just learning how to interact with other people, how you think, how you solve problems, and actually the the specialised knowledge comes with you know if you're working on a project about something you'll learn about that bit it's about yeah it's all about how you think a degree is a gateway a degree is at the end of the day everyone has a degree it's about who you are and um what you can bring to the table that isn't just your degree um and especially when you're applying for for grad roles and stuff you know um I've seen a lot of CVs I, I help out with the graduate interviews and what we're looking for is we're not looking for necessarily yeah I got a first on my degree I can do all the things because every single person applying to that job has done a degree every single person has done all their modules and they're like yeah I've done really great in my modules we're looking for those things that are slightly outside of the box that make you slightly different or you know any volunteer work that you've been doing and just things that make you stand out for you as a person not because of the degree modules that you've been asked to do and so at the end of the day your degree is just a stepping stone to, to who you want to be as a person. And Thank you. Really, really great comments from you there, Jinchi. Um, Another question from Sam. Are a lot of companies getting involved in STEM outreach programmes and are engineers making a big effort now to go into schools? Amanda, you'd like to take that one? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Um, we, have, we have a department dedicated to uh, STEM outreach and education outreach. Um, the Rolls-Royce website has a whole bunch of um, activities and uh, exercises that schools can and teachers can uh, go onto our website and take and use as part of their classroom activities. Uh, as well, uh, we have STEM ambassadors. Um, Rolls-Royce have invested in getting um, STEM ambassadors uh, qualified and um, uh and check so that they can go into schools and yeah we do we go into schools and run flying start challenge uh, competitions with um after school clubs yeah absolutely did she um has mark mcdonald done anything particular yeah i can comment on that as well um through covid it's been a lot more difficult we've been running a lot of online sessions which as you can imagine are, are a lot more difficult than um than in-person sessions so it has gone down a bit this year um but yeah, as far as I'm aware, the STEM initiatives haven't stopped because of because of COVID. If anything, there's been more of a push actually in the industry because we know that it's really important to target people at the moment because people are out there, they might be feeling a bit lost. I know I'm feeling a bit lost and I'm 26, but imagine if you were, you know, 15, 16 and you actually, this whole situation is just, must be even more mind boggling because you just don't know what you're going to do. But we are actively trying to target people because engineering in itself is is stable. You know, the industry is not going anywhere. You know, all these kind of climate change and carbon initiatives and saving the planet, that isn't going to be possible without engineering. That isn't going to be possible without the initiative, like, you know, the, the renewable energy sectors and the, the transportation sectors, perhaps that engineering is just so core in. And so if we can... There is actually, I think, just a slight larger push this year to to encourage people into engineering more as, as that stable career. And yeah, most of it's gone online this year, but I think next year there'll be a much bigger push to continue that. That's really great to hear. Um, any other questions from the audience before we wrap it up? If not, well, it was really great to speak to you guys and really, really interesting points that you all have raised. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye.
If you enjoyed this week's episode of Ingenious, please subscribe and share the podcast with friends. We'd also love to hear your feedback. To get in touch or find out more about us and our guests, head to ingeniouspod.org. Music for our episodes is kindly provided by Yemzo Katana. Check him out on SoundCloud.